You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Well, in recent years, a book was turned into a film uh, or a TV series called The Man in the High Castle. And the setting is 1960s America, except in this story, the United States and the Allied troops had lost World War II years before. And the country that we know now is not the country they knew. It was actually occupied. The Western United States was under uh, the Imperial Japan, and the eastern portion from the Rockies over was under the control of the Third Reich. But brewing beneath the surface was a resistance with something in their possession that could bring down these conquering empires. And it was not a large arsenal of weapons. It was not some secret, innovative technology. It was a message of hope. In fact, it was a film depicting an alternate outcome, one where the Allied troops had actually won the war. And it becomes this very powerful message that a different outcome exists than the one that everyone's been living. That there is a world that is wildly different than the world that they were seeing all around them. And as the story develops, it becomes clear that this film doesn't just show the world as it should be or the world as it could be, but the world as it actually is. The world they had been living in was based on a lie. What they thought to be true around them was actually built on deception and this message of hope was breaking in to show them what is really real. Similarly, Luke chapter two. I mean, this very familiar story, right? Luke chapter two breaks in as a message of hope into our world with the announcement that what you see all around you is not all there is, the broken oppressed, divided, hurting, dying world is not final. And that everything can and will be changed because of this Savior who is Christ the Lord. The first thing I want to point your attention to in this passage is the appearance. Look with me again at Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 9. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So I think whenever we picture this scene, it's easy to imagine that this angelic being is like some divine traveler who has traveled from some far-off, distant, heavenly place to appear to the shepherds. But instead, what's actually happening here is that the shepherds' eyes are being opened to what has been there all along. What Luke 2 tells us is that the heavenly realm is actually closer than we can imagine. And we see this all throughout scripture. Genesis chapter 28, God allows Jacob to see this vision of a ladder of angels ascending and descending. Or in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and his assistant are surrounded by a foreign army that are there to seize them. And the assistant goes outside and he sees these armies mounting against them and he's freaking out. But then Elijah prays, it says, then Elijah prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full 
of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the armies of this world are great, but the armies of heaven are even greater. A.W. Tozer would put it this way, a spiritual kingdom lies all about us, enclosing us, embracing us, all together within reach of our inner selves, waiting for us to recognize it. God himself is here, waiting our response to his presence. This eternal world will come alive to us the moment we begin to reckon upon its reality. What's he describing? He's describing faith. When God graciously opens the eyes of our hearts to see what we would not otherwise see about God, ourselves, and the world around us. See, we often believe that the visible world all around us is all that is real, and then we doubt the existence of anything else that we cannot see. And because of this, we live by the idea that the world as it is, is all there is, and the world as we see it is the way that it's always going to be. But the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and there was a tear in the veil that had opened up. To use language that maybe we understand from movies today, there was a portal <laughs> that was opened that now can't be shut. A portal has been opened, and now heaven is breaking through. And in this quiet, unassuming night, in Israel, in the furthest corners of the empire, heaven is breaking into the world in a way that's going to change things forever. Here we are, 2,000 years later, celebrating this. Angels are appearing. Glory is shining. Heavenly hosts are singing. And best of all, the very eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, is breaking in. He's being born. I love the way that Sam Storms describes it. He said, the word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The immutable became mutable. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The love became the hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned into obscurity. From inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief from a throne to a cross, from power to weakness. That's what's happening. This is the glory. Heaven is appearing. Secondly, we see an announcement, verses 10 through 11. And the angel said to them, fear not. I think this is a word for us today. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, uh, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, we've had a lot of babies born in the church, so my eyes have been kind of attuned to this, but there are a lot of baby announcements out there today. Quick search online, you'll find countless ideas for making the perfect, memorable birth announcement. But here's the deal. On average, 385,000 babies are born every single day. 
So then the question for us as parents is, how are we going to capture our audience in a way that says, no, 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 this child. This child, more than any other child, is the most important, the cutest, the most loved. They're going to be the most successful. Forget all the rest of them. This child. Now, there are um, sort of timeless announcements like, hello, world, introducing our bundle of joy, fill in the blank. There are funny ones like, my, one of my favorites, our home has grown by two feet. That's good. That's wholesome. Wholesome. Or, oops, we did it again. Birth announcements are very common. Countless creative ways to announce your new baby. But here's the deal. In the first century Roman Empire, which is the context of the birth of Christ, in first century Roman Empire, this was a custom almost exclusively for royalty. So when a future king was born, what would happen is poets and messengers would be hired by the royal family to publish announcements of their birth and to go tell about all the things that this newborn king will one day do. And what it was called was good tidings. And these good tidings would be sent out and published into the furthest corners of the Roman Empire in order to stir up hope and allegiance around this newborn king so that when they see him take the throne, they're prepared to give him their life. And these announcements would be big and they would be bold. In fact, we have an announcement of Caesar Augustus who was born about 50 years before the incarnation of Jesus. It's inscribed in what's called the praying calendar of 9 BCE and this is what we're told. Now listen to these words. 50 years before Jesus. Since providence, that's the way they describe the, the heavenly realm. Since providence, which has ordered all things, is deeply interested in our life. Not really, but okay. Has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. That he might benefit, benefit humankind. Sending him as a savior. Both for us and for our descendants that he might end war and arrange all things. The birthday of the God Augustus is the beginning of the good news to the world. It is a day which we must count as the beginning of everything. So everything before this day didn't even matter. This is when time starts. It is restored and shape, restored the shape of everything that was failing. So some notable themes here. Do, does any of this sound familiar, by the way? Savior. God, peace, good news for the world, restoration, and a new beginning. So when the angel shows up in first century Roman-occupied Israel making this announcement, this is bold and this is a very brave one because this is what the angel is saying. Forget Caesar, man. Forget that dude. Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the true savior. Caesar Augustus, he's dead. <laughs> but this king lives. And he's the only one that can bring peace, not just between men, but more importantly, peace between human, humankind and God our creator. Jesus is the good news of great joy for all people who makes all things new. Now, you guys still with me? I've had five kids, so like this is nothing. 
So if you're having a hard time, I'm the one having to preach. If I'm doing all right, you, you can do all right, all right? So here's the deal. I find it interesting that a royal announcement like this is not made down the halls of some palace or some special place of honor. It comes to shepherds in a field watching over their flock by night. And the question is, why them? Why does the angel appear to shepherds? Now, for those of us who are familiar with the story, we're like, well, that's what angels do. They walk down the aisle with shepherds. Like, angels and shepherds, they're bros. That's their thing. But why them? Well, for one, this is true to the gospel. Good news comes to the poor. Good news comes to the outcasts. Good news comes to those who find themselves not fitting in. But I think there's something else here. Because the shepherds, they knew one single thing. They knew sheep. They lived and they breathed sheep. This was their world. And many historians and commentators agree that a flock of sheep this close to Jerusalem, this time of year, would have likely been destined for temple sacrifice. The flock mentioned in Luke chapter 2 were very likely lambs being led to their slaughter. We will not enact this with the children this morning, by the way. But the sheep here are very likely lambs being led to the slaughter. So these shepherds were particularly familiar, not just with sheep, but sheep without blemish. Those who had been prepared to die for the sins of God's people. So keep that in mind when the angel says to these shepherds in verse 12, and this will be a sign to you, not everyone, to you. You're going to get this. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is a sign you're going to recognize. This is someone that you are going to be able to identify immediately. So again, why this announcement to the shepherd? Because of all the people, they would recognize Jesus, not just as some cute baby, but as the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They would recognize him as the one that Isaiah had prophesied about hundreds of years before, the suffering servant. Paul Tripp puts a very fine point on this, and he said, you don't understand the Christmas story unless you look into that manger and see a lamb. What is it? Who is it that you see? Again, why the shepherds? Maybe because they were the only ones that would be able to recognize who Jesus really is. Not just a newborn and not just a newborn king, but a savior king. The one day crucified king who would lay down his life on the cross to redeem his people from our sins and the power of death. And then on the third day rise Again, let's look finally here at the anthem, verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom, uh, I'm sorry, a peace among those with whom he is pleased. When you learn passages as a kid in a different translation, it makes it difficult to read it in ESV. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. So this chorus being sung here is by countless angelic beings. 
And this is very theatrical. This is very extravagant. And again, to really capture what's going on here, you have to see the contrast. All the heavenly hosts are breaking out in song to a group of lowly shepherds sitting here on the side of a field with their sheep. A common day illustration would be like hiring the biggest band in the world to come perform in the backyard for a 10-year-old's birthday party. It just feels like overkill here. The one angel could have done it. Why all this celebration? Why now? Well, this song is not just celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's actually signaling something that's beginning to happen, something really, really big. In the book of Job, which is a book that we find in the Old Testament, God himself describes something very interesting that was happening as he was actively forming the world at creation. That as God was forming the world, there was music in the background. Did you know this? Like any good artist, he had music in the background. And there was actually a soundtrack to creation. Job 38 says, God says, when I laid the foundation of the earth, the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. So this sort of thing doesn't just happen. And this sort of thing doesn't just happen every once in a while. This is a very special song for a very specific situation. All the angels sing when God is making all things new. Why here? Why now? Because again, like at creation, God was drawing near in wisdom and in power to form a new beginning, a new creation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. New birth, new life, a new beginning. And that's, by the way, why we sing our guts out. Because God's doing a new thing. See, sin is the condition and the power, really, that plagues us, hurts us, breaks us, and condemns us before God. Sin. But this anthem is a resounding message that tells us that the only one who can heal us and set us free has come. This is the one who saves us from our sins and has come into our broken world to make all things new. The arrival of Jesus Christ is good news for anyone here who has ever looked at their life or ever looked at the broken world around them and wished for a new start. And Christmas announces, hope has come. New life has broken in. Recreation is upon us. Which means that you and I have to resist the urge to look to anything or to look to anyone else to make ourselves new, including ourselves. This Christmas, going into this new year, we need to resist the urge to reinvent ourselves. We need to resist the urge to perfect ourselves. We need to resist the urge to re-identify ourselves. We need to resist the urge to grasp at anything or anyone to make ourselves new. Instead, let this anthem resound in your hearts, reminding you this day that the only one who can transform your life has come, and his name is Jesus. Go directly to him. Kneel before him. 
Receive him by faith. Trust him. Behold him. Offer your life to him. Worship him. And let him make you new. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we...